today I want to speak to you about one of what I believe to be one of the greatest neglects in the church today. And uh, starting off by just saying this, that the church, all believers, are to be a band of worshippers and workers and warriors. W-A-R-R-I, not W-O. Warriors, fighters, soul winners restorers of the fallen saints and willing to pay the price no matter what it costs. I was reading in my devotions the other day, Luke chapter 15, and the thought came to me of how we, the church, have somehow just neglected the life of Christ, the actual recorded events in the life of Christ, and they recorded primarily in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, but also uh, spilling over into the book of Acts. Those that were with him, knew him, experienced him, saw him, uh, opened their hearts and lives to him, gave up all that they had to follow him. And I, it struck me so powerfully that somehow or the other, we're just in all the noise, all the clatter, all that's going on around in the body of Christ and all the things that people are emphasizing and overemphasizing. Somewhere the life of Christ, his example, what he said by word, the actual recorded words of Jesus, um, how he handles situations, somewhere that's all got lost. And I just want to challenge you as leaders, especially about all believers, to get back and have a good look at the life of Christ recorded in those Gospels and the book of Acts. I was reading this and I just want to read a few verses from uh, Luke chapter 15. And it says this, uh, this is the context. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. They weren't impressed. And this is what they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. He knew that what they were saying. And he had to just bring things back to see these, these Pharisees and these um, teachers of the law. They felt they were too good to mix with sinners. They separated themselves from all of that. And somewhere or the other, they lost what God's message really was. And so it goes on to say this, Then Jesus told them this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, everybody needs to repent. So you know that Jesus is making a point here. And he does this in all three of these parables. And somehow or the other, we speak like take the one of the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son or the prodigal father. We speak about the goodness and the, the uh, 
welcoming father and, and we forget that really it's about winning people to Christ and winning the lost, those that have strayed, bringing them back to Christ. That's the mission, that's the mandate that Christ came to fulfill, to glorify his father and to win the lost. And that was the command and the mandate he gave to the church when he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all men. Uh, that's the mandate, that's the mission. And somehow, like these scribes and Pharisees, sometimes I think that the church has forgotten that above all the things we teach of, Jesus needs to be glorified and people, men and women, need to be one to Christ, brought back into the kingdom, the Great Commission fulfilled, so that Christ can come back, take us to be with him and establish his kingdom, the kingdom we're all praying for. So, if you look through these um, parables that Jesus spoke about, and, and you know, preceding this Luke 15, all of that that preceded it was really about what Jesus was doing, his life, the things that uh, glorified the Father, the reason why he came. And so God wants us to once again, I believe with all my heart, that we need to get back, as the, especially in leadership, what we're preaching and teaching, to go back and have a good look at what the Gospels actually say, how Jesus lived it. You know that the Word, the, the Word of God became flesh. That Word, the Logos, that's the message. Jesus was the message. He was God's message to the world. And it's only as we uphold Jesus, the message, that God's message reaches the world in and through the church. And so while we are to be worshippers, workers and warriors, trained for warfare, spiritual warfare, we're to take back that which was lost. We're to pay the price. We're to be like the woman in the parable of the lost coin and Luke 15 verses 8 through to 10. She, she searched. She dropped everything else and went hard after trying to find the lost. And then again, also the parable of the pearl of great price. Matthew 13, uh, Matthew 13 verses 45 to 46, where it says that when he discovered the, the pearl of great price, he just sold everything. It, that pearl became the reason. And that's got to get back into our hearts and lives. And then again, we see this in the treasure hidden in the fields in Matthew 13, verse, verse 44. Every message that we preach has to have these components in it. Even our songs, <clears throat> they've got lost. While we sing about glorifying God, we glorify God when we do what God wants us to do. And so few songs today, so few messages seem to contain that in, that God wants us to obey Him, and to obey Him is the only way we will truly glorify. Singing songs while we're not obeying Him is not going to glorify. No matter how long we sing for, if we're not obeying Him, we're not glorifying God. If we're not doing the things He told us to do, then we're not glorifying God. So, I want us to read together that well-known chapter, overworked sometimes, in Ephesians chapter 4, and picking up in verse 7, if you'll just turn with me in your Bibles to that, please, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and it says this, uh, in, in picking up Ephesians 4 and looking at verse uh, 7. 
Paul writes this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says this, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to, to men. What does he mean? What does he, he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he, the ascended one, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up and until we all, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Stop and ask yourself, what percentage of the church that you're part of that you're part of the leadership, if you're in the leadership. What percentage of that church, be honest, ruthlessly honest, what percentage of the church is really doing what this says, doing the work of the ministry? I reckon maybe 10%, in some cases 15, 90%, 85%, 70% to sit back and leave it to the few. So many of you as leaders, you're overworked. So many can't even answer their return calls that people leave for them. Can't meet with people because you're too busy with other things. Why? Because there are not enough workers. Jesus actually said, when we go back into the Gospels, that we're to pray the Lord of the harvest that he might send forth laborers into the fields. See, these are, these are some of the things that Jesus actually taught from his own lips, where there's no private interpretation. So be ruthlessly honest. What percentage of the church that you're in is doing the work of the ministry? See, one of the most effective ways to me to serve God, to glorify Jesus and to please him is to reveal to others through our lives, by lifestyle and what we say, our life and our lips, is to show others what he's really like, how good God really is, how accommodating, how loving, how, and how much he reaches out and desires to see all people saved. It is God's will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God will have all men to be saved. And so in order for us to glorify God and reveal what Jesus is like, we're going to have to be doing what Jesus did and saying what Jesus said. If Jesus really is the word, the Logos, then surely we have to do what he says and be like he is. And so when we obey him in faith, through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, that's when we're gonna we'll see the result in fulfilling the Great Commission, what he came to do, what he did on the cross, his resurrection, ascension, but what he's wanting to do in and through the church today. So... In Luke chapter 8, verse 15, it says this. Listen carefully or consider how we hear. How? 
And then it says also in Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 4, verse 24, and consider carefully what you hear. How and what? Not through our prejudices, not through our preconceived ideas, not through our personal preferences. So much of what is coming through from the leadership, the preachers and the teachers in the church today, is through their own personal preferences or the preferences of the people. But we need to get back to how did Jesus live this and what did Jesus say about situations where we no longer fear the opinions of men? Listen to you. You remember in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, verse 49, Jesus actually said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I command you? He says elsewhere over and over again, if you love me, you'll do what I command you. You'll do what I've told you. You'll obey me. I, I often marvel at the fact that how the devil ever got this right. We, to, to mention the word obey in the, in the church has now become something totally acceptable, unacceptable. It's like anathema. How did he get that right? Surely if we love him, we're going to obey him. And we're going to do it like he did it. Not like others are doing it around the world, how he did it. So let's get back to the scriptures and the Gospels and the book of Acts and see how he did it. That's what God wants. And if you would go, just, just do yourself a favor. Start with Matthew chapter, seven, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, and read through nonstop to chapter 7, verse 29, the Sermon on the Mount. Just have a look at that, what he said. These are the words of Jesus. This is what is important to him. This is what is important, important to the Father. This is the message, the Logos, the Word becoming flesh. And so we're to be like him and to do what he did and say what he said. Like Luke, Acts chapter 1 verse 1 says that uh, Luke is saying what Jesus began to do and to teach. <clears throat> we might need to spend a lot more time in the Gospels. See what he did. See what he taught. Study his life. All the expressions of his life. How he handled situations. How he handled critics and criticism. Rejection, betrayal, sinners, hypocrites, disappointments, testings, trials. What he taught, his message, his, his emphasis. For then, we then need to teach them as he taught them. And so somehow, let me say this again, all of this has somewhere got lost. And all the, the noise, all the clatter, all that's being said and done and taught and practiced in the church. Remember that the, the, the epistles are written about him. It's not about formulas. It's not about trick texts. It's not about preferences. It's the, the, the epistles are about Jesus. <clears throat> and they cannot be taught independent of Jesus himself. To take scripture and make it mean something an emphasis here that doesn't emphasize Christ and his kingdom is actually a distortion of the word of God. So stop, if you're doing it, I hope you're not, but if you are, stop taking texts out of the context and applying them through human bias and human tendencies and preferences, making excuses so often for our own lack of faith, our own lack of commitment, our own obedience, rather than seeing what they really meant in and through the life and the teachings of Jesus. So we'll only enjoy and glory for God glorify God in proportion to our true knowledge of him. So we need, and I'm going to try to 
bring this down to a close quickly. We need to examine, first of all, his prayer life. Have a look in the Gospels at how Jesus prayed, sometimes on a mountain, on his own, early in the morning, late at night, sometimes half nights, prayed sometimes with his disciples. Look at his, not only his prayer life, examine his prayer life, but examine his message. It's always centered around the kingdom of God to glorify the Father. Have a look at the message. It's cost. It's power, the power of the message. He taught with authority because he was teaching by the anointing, yes, but what God wanted. It's power, it's authority, it's influence and it's impact. It's supremacy over all and everything else. It's outworking the message of the, of, of the life of Jesus. Have a look at how his way of raising up and equipping leaders. How he spent time with them, as you see in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 15. I hope you'll look these scriptures up. How he demonstrated what his faith life entailed. Have a look at Luke chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. Luke chapter 4, verse 31 to 37. And verses 38 to 43, just picking out things here and there, but study the life of Jesus. How he gave them opportunities to minister. Look at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 8 through to 6, and verses 10 to 17. Chapter 10, verses 1 through to 12. How he encouraged them, he challenged them, he corrected them, he even rebuked them if it needed be. Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 36, and 41, verse 41 to 45, 46 to 50, 57 to 62. Have a look at Luke chapter, 7, uh, chapter 10, verses 17 to 20. These are some of the things that Jesus did in raising up and releasing leaders. So different. So different to what's somehow the other crept into the church, by and large. Have a look at his names, what the names meant. Your names meant something. In Scripture, they often reveal a lot about the person, their character, their qualities. <clears throat> Have a look at the names. Now, I've got a list of names here. I'm hoping that after I finish this message, I'm just going to start another short little thing, just giving you a list of maybe 20, 30 of the names that I've pulled out of the Scriptures. But his names meant something. I'll just give you one example. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, at his birth, the angel said, that you should call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sin. Not in their sin, from their sin. Moving on. How he handled criticism, betrayal, rejection, opposition. Luke chapter 11, verse 14 to 26, when he was accused of being demonized and operating in the power of the devil. He knew what it was to be criticized. Judas' betrayal. How he handled the betrayal when Jesus Judas betrayed him. How he handled his arrest, how he how he handled the situation before Pilate, which is surprising to some people. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep as, as a sheep before his shearers is done, so he opened not his mouth. He didn't fight. He didn't defend himself. These are things that the body of Christ needs to get back to, trusting God to take care of those situations. And then also his sacrificial life and of obedience. And his interaction with people, how he responded to people, all sorts of people. All of this demands an invo the involvement and the activity of the Holy Spirit, who, by the Bible says in John chapter 14, verse 26, who teaches us all things and brings revelation to us, as 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 to 11 tells us. The Holy Spirit brings revelation. 
Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. Look at these for yourself. But to close off now, what's it going to cost to be like Jesus? First of all, an openness to His Spirit, the Spirit of God changing us as He desires. Us being transformed from one degree of glory to the, to the next, as 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us. Secondly, it's going to mean total surrender to the Father's will. As Jesus in Luke chapter 24, told, I think it's 24, or chapter 22, he says, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup uh, pass from me. But I don't want to do my will, I want to do yours. Total surrender. It's going to cost that. that that's emulating what Jesus was like, living like Jesus. Thirdly, it's going to be, it's going to mean we're going to be misunderstood, misrepresented, and sometimes inconvenienced. As 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10 tells us, sometimes we've got to become, be willing to be fools for Christ's sake. In 1 Corinthians 9, 22, Paul writes by the inspiration of the Spirit of God that we to become all things to all men that we might win some. So it's going to cost us being misunderstood, misrepresented and inconvenient. Fifth, fourth, I think it's fourthly, it's going to cost us some of our friendships. Some of those friendships that are not healthy are going to have to go. Are we willing for that? We as leaders need to set the, 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 the example and, and, and move in and, and, and live like this and then encourage the people to. Sometimes it's going to some, demand some changes to our entertainment and our behavior. In other words, it's going to require some discipline to say no to some things. It's going to also require that we spend some time alone with Him in praise and in worship and in prayer and in Bible study. It's going to cost some things. Two more things quickly in a close. It's going to mean total obedience to all of His commands. As I said earlier on, if we really love Him, we will obey Him. We won't look for shortcuts. We won't look for ways around. We'll just do what He told us to do. And eighthly, it's going to mean we have to embrace and stand firmly upon all of His promises, knowing that He is absolutely faithful. He cannot lie. He will help us. He will stand with us. He will keep us strong. He will bring us through. And you know that success really is accomplishing God's purpose for your life. Success for me is not how rich I get, not how big my church looks, but God being able to accomplish His purpose for my life and the same for you in and through your life. If he doesn't accomplish his purpose, you're not a success. But his word promises, his plans are good to give us success. Father, help us in Jesus' name. Thank you. You're faithful. Amen. God bless.